Welcome to Three, a show about Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic. I'm Gil Gross, host of Monday Match Analysis with outstanding tennis, tennis journalist Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. And on today's show, we continue, we finish our trilogy of what we can learn from the big three. It is Novak Djokovic's turn. And it works out nicely because he is the only one grinding in New York right now. He's through his first two rounds. And uh, hopefully, well, I mean, w- this will come out after his match today. Um, so we'll see what happens there. But Novak has looked pretty good. He, he, was, he had a tougher match against Barankis, and then he looked really, really good against Tennis Sander. Yeah, it's kind of like, yeah. it's kind of like, you know, he, he has this neck injury that nobody really knows what, where it came from or what it's about. And, you know, he said, it, it sort of mirrors the fact that he said, well, I was actually thinking of not even playing the U.S. Open. You didn't know this, but it was like really touch and go. Same thing with all of his injuries. You know, it's kind of like, oh, this is bad. And then he just goes out and wins. Well, and he played, he got through the match with Barankas. And, uh, and I remember after seeing him being worked on for that, I remember this is a COVID survivor. So we don't know. Nobody quite knows the physical effects. I mean, certainly he had to have some downtime. So that's something. And he is such a thoroughbred in his, in his fitness and his training. But also, who know, what do we know about the, the physiological effects uh, of this? But, uh, but then against Sandgren, he was much more in form broke Sandgren in the opening game, and just showed the things that make Novak so, so formidable. His depth, his movement, his balance, all the things that lead an opponent as fine as Sandgren, who's become a fine player. Uh, to, wow, how am I going to get this guy to miss? I'm not going to hit 38 winners. How am I going to get him to miss? And that's when you know you're kind of overmatched. And when it comes to the neck, the shot that I really look out for is the serve. you got to look up. It's normally if you have a stiff neck, that's the shot that's bothersome. Um, and against Tennis Sandgren, it was shades of Australian Open 2020 Novak Djokovic serving, which, Amy, you wrote on. I mean, Novak is hitting, still hitting, 105 to 110 mile per hour second serves, which is incredibly difficult to deal with as an opponent, um, especially – as good a returner as he is, and I mean, that's, that's overwhelming, I feel like. Well, what did you, when you took a deep dive into Djokovic's second serve, what came out of that? It was a change from what he had been doing previously, and this is a guy who, unlike the other two, is constantly tweaking his game. He's, and his routines and his body and, and all that stuff. Um, wait a second, he, wait a second. Do you say unlike the other two? Yeah, I, I mean, I feel they, like- they tweak, They're tweaking. I mean, they, yeah, they'll make change. It's better with the stuff with his backhand and his equipment, Nadal with his serve. That took a while, Joel. I know, but I'm not, but you make it sound- Roger those guys are brackets. Yeah, but you guys, that's you saying those guys are- are covered stone. Also, when you're when you're number three, I guess for which he was for a while, you could see. But you're right about Novak's mindset. But I just want to I just want to speak on behalf of, of Rafa and Roger a little bit here. Well, I mean, and and what reason would they have to change? Really, I mean, they're they're old school in the best possible way, but they're two of the best that have ever played. So why do they need to make a lot of changes? Well, Novak a is a guy that he'll go sit in a hyperbaric egg, you know, if he thinks that'll make him, maybe let's try it to see if I'll heal faster from an injury or, 
Um, I remember when Agassi was briefly coaching him, Agassi brought like a whole bunch of new rackets for him to try and he tried that for a while. So um, he's a tweaker and I think that really sets him apart and, and um, makes him very interesting. It's come full circle because if, if you ask what's Djokovic's weakness in 2010, this is well documented now, uh, most people would say his second serve, either that or, or perhaps fitness in you know, hot weather, right? But it was probably his second serve. He served almost as many double faults as he did aces in 2010, and he made the tweak. But, but also uh, Rafa did a similar thing, changing his service technique um, as well. Serving's going to be really important in New York, I think, over the next uh, three weeks, or now it's two and a half weeks, because the courts are really quick. And if you look at the Western and Southern Open results, the big servers have played really, really well. Opelka, Raonic still in it. I think serving's important on this court surface. Do you think, by and large, the, the quicker court helps Djokovic? I think it's fine for him. I think he's adapted. He's so good. He could do well on on both, it's an interesting thing to play out. Maybe it depends on, on the matchup. Again, for, for a lot of players who have the, who have the weapon, like a Raonic or an Opelka, this is great. And, and, for people, and you haven't been playing as long. So good, quick points. Let's go. I, I don't have to play as long a point. I think for Novak, that's a great, that's a great question. This sounds like an interesting uh, way to look at him versus slow courts. I mean, he's done so well on every surface, every which way. I don't know. It helps. His, it might help his opponents more. So that's kind of the deals. But I don't know. I don't know. What do you think, Amy? He, this guy can do well on any surface. He's highly adaptable. Um, maybe more, even more adaptable than the other two. But what's interesting to me is with the speedier surface, if Nadal had played. Um, would this would would Djokovic have had a clear advantage over Nadal, or would Rafa have figured it out as he as he sometimes does? But um, the fast surface won't be a problem for Novak. I think it helps him. I'm pretty I'm pretty uh, firm on that. I think it helps him because where where Novak is at a deficit to some of his opponents, particularly Dominic Team, is in the power department. And I think quicker surface, easy to hit through the court. You know, you get that nice skid on the ball, especially when you flatten it out. Now Djokovic is on a level playing field with some of the more powerful players. I, I'm mostly thinking about Dominic Team, but um, I think it, he's in the same camp as a guy like Daniil Medvedev. I think team is at a team is at a disadvantage because yes, he's taking such big backswings now on his strokes. Um, but what's interesting, you mentioned the big servers, Gil, like Isner. I mean, Novak is one of the, if not the greatest returner in the history of the game, possibly. Um, so it's interesting if you're a big server like Opelka or Isner, you're going to be tempted to really go for it and go for your shots, go for your serve, go for that first forehand. And then if you face Novak, it's almost like he's setting a trap for you. Yeah, that's a great point about the return. It's just, I think his opponents will be aided. I think when you get to someone like team, you're thinking of in the rallies. And I agree that someone like, like team with his big swings, the fast coach will hurt him. But for Novak in rallies, you're saying can help him, Gil. But if at least the bigger servers, this is going to help them. 
So they're gonna get more traction against Novak than they do at a slow place like Indian Wells. So that will help them get some more cheap points. Um, but I, I don't know. And the other question is also, it's interesting about this stuff about things like court speed and ball. These always strike me as what I call a 72 hour stories that start the tournament. You know, you hear them, they get talked about. And next thing you know, we're kind of like, okay, we're all buckled in our seats and we're, it, it, now it's Thursday and now we're playing the tournament. So it's the thing that surfaces and then it's like, okay, calibrate, adjust, oh, tennis, okay, we got it. You know, you rarely hear these stories about court speed by the end of a tournament, particularly a major. It's more like, it's an early first, we'll see. But, but you do acknowledge the court is very different, right? It's playing very differently. Like, if you go back, I'll go to the last match played on the old U.S. Open courts. Medvedev and Nadal, both extremely, uh, obviously, great movers. They couldn't hit it by each other. They had to go to the net because they, they couldn't finish a point. But that, wasn't a, that was nowhere near as slow a court as an Indian Wells. It's still a U.S. Open hard court. It's not like they're playing on the like, – uh, Indian Wells is extremely slow. I think they're also – those are two of the greatest court covers you're going to see, Nadal and, and Medvedev, that final. Right. But in, in 2018, the tournament director actually admitted that extra sand was added to the top layer of the courts to actually slow down the courts. And ever since 2018, I think that the U.S. Open has played for sure on the slower side of the hardcore spectrum. Right. And now they have, well, and now they have this uh, lake hold, which is a little different. So I, we'll see. The other thing that I've, I've found interesting throughout this week and it almost adds a bit of awkwardness to this Western and Southern Open is the idea that perhaps winning it might not be a great thing for the U.S. Open. And it feels like there's a happy medium. You want match play, but do you really want to go all the way to Sunday, play a match on Sunday, and basically you don't even get a break before you have to start this? I think two- the finals are on Friday, aren't they? I'm the sorry, aren't they? Um, yes, they started two, you're right. They started two days early so they could finish two days early. That's why it started on Saturday. So So, now the question is, do you want to play a final on Friday even? Yeah. Absolutely. You do at this stage. I I have never seen Djokovic enter a tournament that he did not want to win. I mean, other players, you know, you wonder about that. And even Rafa has made comments before, like, Ah, if I lose Madrid or Rome, I go fishing, you know, or something like that before the French Open. Um, but I have never seen that guy even think twice about wanting to win the tournament. If he enters, he wants to win. Okay. But I think they all. I think they all. I think all players do. I think at this stage, yeah. everyone is so undermatched, so underseasoned. I mean, I wrote this recently. This is the most underseasoned August in tennis history ever mm-hmm. so i think i think everyone's going to be feel peachy keen to have gotten a few matches under their belt and whoever wins the tournament will feel pretty good friday night knowing that they and they won't have to play till monday i think it, and they play two out of three sets on the same surface getting used to the bubble it's all okay i tend to agree and when i say want i don't mean like you know are they trying to win i mean like would it coincidentally be a bad thing if they won so i'm not questioning Djokovic's motivation um but i think that's a question serena was actually asked last night uh did did you think oh maybe i don't even want to win this match and serena shot it down and and said no learning from novak that's our main topic um there's this thing that people say that drives me nuts which is that Djokovic isn't great at anything but he's good 
at everything. Uh, that kind of drives me crazy. I, I think he's great at, at so many things. The depth is uncanny on both wings. Consistency is an asset. Movement is an asset. I almost feel like saying he's not great at anything is saying that you're blind to everything that isn't an 130-mile-per-hour serve, a massive forehand, or a gorgeous Stan Wawrinka one-handed backhand, or Pete Sampras volleys. He's a player's player. And in a way, it reminds you know, there are players like this who are great um, it, throughout the years, whether it's Yvonne Lendl or Ken Rose or ones. It's a little bit – you have to be an adult and you have to understand how the game is. And I couldn't agree with you more, Gil, about how great he is. It's like only maybe if you play the game do you understand just the, the value of depth, value of sustained depth. That alone is something that's just so significant. But, again, people who don't play – and they see the crossover Barishnikov movement of Federer, which we've addressed, and the incredible competitive will of Nadal. And Novak is just, he's a craftsman. It's just sustained brilliance. But when it's sustained, you don't notice it. I mean, I'm going to ask you, Amy, you covered baseball. I mean, are there like baseball players? You watch these guys, you know, great shortstops, great, that's what you think of Novak. Like, like I don't know, some gold glove fielders. They make the routine and, they make the difficult seem routine. Are there things that come to mind with you, with Novak in that? Well, I, I think more like a, a really great pitcher that isn't a fastball pitcher or isn't, you know, some sort of a gimmicky pitcher. Um, but I'll tell you what he's good at. Have you ever played one of those games where you set up cones, you know, on certain spots of the court and then you and the other person, it's you versus him trying to knock down as many cones as you can. So let's say you set up a, a series of cones like two or three inches um, inside the lines at each corner, the baseline. Um, Novak would just kill in that game. And the word I think is accuracy, right? I mean, that's, that's a great skill to have in any sport. I couldn't agree with you more. And also the, uh, the balance recovery aspect of it is also so important too, because there's, look, what do we try to do in a match? Let's look at the learning part. We try to get the opponent off balance, whether it, or, or off, you know, so they're, they're, they're out of sync and then you know they're off balance and they're not hitting the shot well and you get control of the rally. And so you watch the way Novak, is so, his posture and balance is so good that he can hit that cone and then recover and still be completely impregnable to the next one. So, and that works on you. When you're playing someone who you don't think you can hurt, it makes you then go for more. And to Novak, oh, you've gone for more. Thank you. And once, once you go for more, for more than you should, once you start to redline your technique, it's over because you don't have it. And then you're going to start going. I mean, I saw that when I watched him play Sandrin just, just yesterday. Like Sandrin's a... He's a fine player, but he's not. He's got not. He's not nowhere near Novak's skill, and he knows it. And he'll he'll be able to tell his grandchildren. I competed with Novak, and I asked eh, some questions, but at heart, you weren't in it. You just weren't in it. I think this is an this is uh, illuminating because it it reminds me of a drill that sometimes I used to do called the no winners game. Have either of you played someone and winners don't count? Yeah, tell me how you played it out, Gil. So it's, just baseline, it's, it's baseline points, um, but when you hit a winner, you actually don't get the point. Right. Um, Novak would also kill in that for the exact reason why, Amy, he would kill in your drill. Because <laughs> <laughs> if you put a ball 
in each corner. That's the thing about Novak is it's not that he might, you know, it's not that he'll slap a winner, but by the time he hits the fifth great shot in a row, you are so done. You haven't made any inroads in, you know, getting him to move around. You're starting to feel it in the legs. I mean, to play, to play as many uncomfortable balls as he makes you play is, is really, really frustrating. And, you know, we talked about Nadal refusing to lose the point. And we talked about consistency in uh, last week. Novak is cut from the same cloth. It's just a different type of ball. Well, I think with Nadal, like, like Jimmy Ayers told me, Nadal just kind of throws you down to the ground because he's got the top spin and the ferocity and just this whole way that he actually wants to, in a certain kind of way, Nadal is a more aggressive player than Novak. The forehand, the, the, the weight on Nadal's forehand is not something Novak has off either way. But the Novak's deal, and this is why I would show, of our three, I would show a 13-year-old Novak of the three by far. It's like, this is a way you can play. This is called consistency and depth and movement. And, of course, it's backed by this incredible fitness. And, I mean, they all do it. But there's this way Novak has it. He's so proficient. He's so balanced and, and so – and, again, there are players like, like, like the late-stage Agassi, Chris Everett, Tracy Austin. Um, the, Lendl was like that. They just, they just keep putting on the pressure. And they're not even so much pouring it on. They don't need to pour it on. They just need to keep applying it, sustained and sustained. And it's so, like you said, in that drill, it would just, it just kind of wears you down. How am I gonna, how am I gonna win points against this guy? Coming here, coming there, and you see how he's improved things. He's he's improved the forehand. He's improved the serve. He's even learned some degree of volley skills, which aren't bad. You see how learned they are, though. It's such, it's almost cute when you watch Novak come to net. You know, you can see it's like he he looks then like the like the 12-year-old who's being taught to volley. And he does it nicely. You know, it's not as natural as his ground game. It's, it's funny, Gil, my sick mind, when you talk about the no winners game, I start thinking, okay, if I'm playing that game, here's how I win. You hit a ball, and if there's any thought that I can't even get to it, I'll just let it go for a winner. That's <laughs> Doesn't <true>. count. That's <laughs> wow, revoke. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty but, good. but actually what you were talking about before with Novak, um, there's a bit of a controversy in tennis right now over how errors are scored, whether the unforced versus forced errors should even exist. And what you probably don't see in the score lines with Novak is a ton of quote unquote unforced errors, which are really forced errors, forced by his, as you said, Joel, his proficiency. There's no such – arguably, there's, you can almost make the case that there's very few such things as unforced errors, save for like a, a sit or miss, an easy passing shot, an easy volley, and a great many ones that and, – and they're scored differently around the world by different kinds of officials. Like some tournaments have a reputation that uh, – so, so it's a little – what they do, but what they are, they're, they're forced – I mean, Leighton Hewitt used to elicit errors because of his speed cover the court so well and maybe now I go for the approach out a little too much so Novak is I think he just forces so many and I think in a way he he forces them more than Nadal or Federer he forces them in a more in a different way they they like you you play Federer you become like a witness to wow watch that look at this guy do all these things to me every point's a little different and next thing you know you're like a witness to this guy kind of carving you up and you don't even 
you're not even that physically debilitated. I think Federer's opponents are, are not as physically debilitated. Nadal's, of course, it's like, hey, hey, you're like in the, in the, in the, in the Matador bullfight thing. And Novak, you're kind of, what is it? You're like tenderized? Mentally debilitated. Yeah, you're just kind of, and, and you just, it kind of wears you down. And he's just so, again, it's, I think of him as such a, such a craftsman genius again and again and that the legs you talked about gil and yeah, again that's a great case for fitness and and consistency him and power him and, everything him and murray we've we've spoken about the similarity between their games and why novak has murray edged in so many areas but when i imagine playing them uh, i would think they hit so many balls that you're just able to get to you, you got there you almost didn't get there but then they do it three more times and you just got there, um, and that just, that's exhausting. Oh, yeah, it's demoralizing. I mean, when I was watching Murray play Zvera the other day, a couple of shots that Andy pulled out of his rear end, um, and the look on Zverev's face, it was just like, I cannot hit a shot any better than that, and you ended up winning the point. It's completely demoralizing. And no. the, yeah, go on, Gil. The showtime for Djokovic, like the sizzle, the sports center top 10, to me is, is the defense. It's when, it's when he's actually on the back foot, not doing the dictating, when he's, when he's 15 feet behind the baseline, sliding on hard court, showing off insane you know, flexibility and coming up you know, with a, a passing shot or getting back in the point. That's where you get the extraordinary out of Novak because he wins so many points that look ordinary, although when you go deeper, they're not. Well, and the difference between him and Murray then, I think it really, if you really had to boil it down to one shot, you say it's the forehands. I mean, I think Murray mm -hmm. has never quite really technically or conceptually or whatever we want to pay, whether it's, in his, whether it's in his technique or in his mind and it's a chicken egg, he's never really learned to do as, as yet as much unleashing of the forehand as, as Novak. And Novak's ability, whether it's from back in the court to do something that gets him out of trouble or inside the court to do something quite dynamic. And I think with Murray, the opponents feel like, all right, I get it to his forehand. I'm not gonna get, he's not gonna hurt me as much. And I think that then, then protracts Murray's matches. It, it's, it's really, I mean, it's a, it's a neat rivalry. And Murray's beaten him. He beat him in a Wimbledon final. He beat him in a US Open final. Um, but it's not, it's, you just see how Novak is just yet better at those things. And again, when you're a little bit better than someone, they play similar. You don't just beat them 10% more, you beat them like 80% more. And you see the way Novak has really, really grabbed hold of that rivalry. I mean, Murray, it's nice to see him back. He might, he, he'll get it. He might get his, some wins or two. But again, and you look at all those Australian Open files where Novak squeezed Murray, too good. Yeah. And he, his record in the in the major finals are exceptional, except for the U.S. Open. He's got a losing record. Is it three and five? It's three and five. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. yeah. I made a Hulk player, um, so I gave I, I made it so that I could only give um, one player one attribute. And for Djokovic, <laughs> I put him under nerve management. That's what I used the Djokovic card for, right? So, for example. You could have Nadal's forehand. You could have Isner's serve, et cetera, right? For Djokovic, I took his nerve management. 
I like it. I like it a lot. And, and yeah. that's what I think of too. You know, the other two, Federer and Nadal, are products of Western Europe. Um, maybe not super wealthy, but certainly um, a, a nice, easy upbringing. And Djokovic is from this war-torn area, and he's got this streak in him, this Serbian thing. He's a little bit wild. You know, he's got this, this sort of, I don't care, you know, this sort of um, craziness. You think he has kind of an underdog mentality? It definitely does. He definitely does. A, because of where he's from, and he's, Look, he's learning how to play while there are bombs. You know, it's like, okay, we're going to – let's play over there. The bombing was yesterday, so it's probably not going to be until tomorrow. I mean, that's different than saying, well, let's play on this court because it's being – they're washing court three today. We won't play in court three. No, they're bombing court three tomorrow, so we'll play there today. I mean, so his whole sense of coming from, you know, that East Europe, that's, that's underdog. And then, and then he emerges as a pro, and he soon enough becomes the number three. You know, he's got the two – the, the two, it's a little bit, Yvonne Lendl had the same thing with, uh, with Connors and McEnroe. So, so here's Novak having to kind of like find his way in the world. Um, you know, it's interesting. I was watching Novak and the, the first match, the Barrancas match, and it was on Tennis Channel and it was Jim Courier and Brett Haber. Courier is uh, one of my favorite analysts. It's just so intelligent. And they're talking about Novak and how um, he uh, doesn't get the love from the fans, and, and that's always kind of bothered him a little bit, and doesn't, doesn't get the love that the other two get. And, you know, why, uh, Brett Haber wonders, why? And no sooner had they said that than there was something where Novak lost the grip on his racket and no, appeared to throw, actually, his racket, and there's almost, I mean, there's almost nobody in the stadium. There's nobody in the stands. Somehow it came very close to hitting a security guard. Well, you look at the replay, did he throw his racket or, or did it just slip out of his hands? So it's, it's like this tension. You just never know. You never know when he's going to, Rah! you know, it's, it's just snap at somebody or, you know, and, and I think um, he uses that. He uses that very effectively. The other two don't have it. And I also think that this tension is why Novak does have a fan base that he has that is extremely dogged. Well, and to get back to sitting there to talk about what we learned from these guys, I think it gets back to the, I like the nerve management. You see, I mean, one of the things that I so enjoy about Novak, he's so human. He's, he just shows you <clears throat> it's a human struggle and he's had to work to make all these things happen to, and that's where I admire his constant quest. I mean, you did point out, Amy, though I, I said these guys make some things, but you know, these guys make some changes, but you're right, not, none of them is more tweak, introspective than Novak in searching for things, whether it's science, whether it's meditation, we, the gluten-free, the diet, all those kind of things really, really make a difference. When it comes to the biggest moments, somehow he's able to find a certain serenity and then bringing it back to the tennis, the actual product, he is able to stay so relaxed. I haven't seen him get tight in years. 
which is an insane thing to say about a top-level tennis player because everyone gets tight. But I, I really haven't seen it. He finds he's so relaxed regardless of the moment. Well, I think all that technical work, there really is no substitute for technique and craftsmanship and all the things that define the game. And I think that's what we can so learn from, like Novak. I mean, again, you guys talked about the drills and, and in his day, he probably did a share of them. I mean, you could just see the discipline, I mean, from when he was very young about proper grips, proper balance, really paying attention. It reminds me, if I may draw on a little example, of Jimmy Connors until he was 10 or 12, wasn't on the court that long. And his mother made sure you're going to do this right. You know, it's, it's funny. I'm going, to, I'm going to contrast this. We talk about player development and we talk about, since we're Americans, about the American player development. And I look at some of our players who they didn't have someone looking over them saying, no, you're going to hit the ball this way properly for 10 minutes rather than just win, hit winners and win matches in the 12s. I mean, you just see the little steps Novak took. And I think one of the lessons is maybe it's better sometimes to do something less and really work on getting it right, whether it's with an, with an instructor or with a drill partner and discipline. I mean, he, again, of our three, he's the most you would speak to a certain kind of discipline in his, in his arsenal, how it shows up again and again in his game. So you think the, the play under pressure, the nerve management, you think that comes from just kind of technique more than anything? Well, it comes from practice. It's like, yeah. it's like being, it's like you talk to people who play at Carnegie Hall, right? They've put in the hours. I'm not talking about mastery. I'm not talking about 10,000 hours. I'm just talking about the practice or it's like the basketball player who, who takes his free throws, practices those free throws again and again. And, and so then when you're under pressure, you can relax. You can know I've, I've practiced this. I've put in the hard yards to be in a position to, to have it happen and to be relaxed. And again, and again, we have seen Novak come through repeatedly again, again, both against both these guys. I mean, that's one of the great points about Novak is he's had to ball past each of them. They had each other. They only had each other for a little while. And even then they were doing it in different surfaces and different places, but Novak's had to do it with each of them everywhere. I think it's interesting. I'm just thinking the wheels are turning as you guys are talking. I think it, it goes back to what we can learn. It goes back to that willingness to tweak and change and the recognition that your journey on the road to being whatever you are as a tennis player is constantly changing. And Joel, we've talked about how once you've learned a certain grip and that's the grip that you use and you don't want to tweak it or adjust it and then somebody says well you know you could get more spin if you moved it over to this next bevel um and the the player whether it be an adult or a high level junior is like i don't want to do that you know i'm 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 here um it was interesting. I met a college coach at Roland Garros last year and we were talking about serve and volley. And he said, there's no way I could get my team to start doing that. I just, nothing I could say to convince them. Um, but what we can all learn is that you can change and you can try new things and you're not done. Nobody is ever done. If Novak Djokovic is not done making changes and tweaking, then you're not either. Let's do the same thing that we did with Nadal for Novak. Um, and let's go with, 
if, if you were to give a junior or yeah, if you were to give a prospect one attribute that Novak has, which attribute would it be? Amy? I'll, I'll go with the thing that we first talked about, accuracy. Accuracy. I'll take the shot we haven't talked about in much depth. How about that backhand? That is one of the sweetest backhands ever, arguably maybe the best ever. I mean, as a stroke, as a stroke. I mean, the intangibles, I, I, I'm fine with that one too. But just, I mean, that backhand's unbelievable. What, how unerring and deep and chiseled, just fantastic stroke. If I had to go technical, I would go with the return, even though, even though that can be a forehand or a backhand. Let's count that. And then, yes, I, I do love, I already answered this, the nerve management, the ability to play your best tennis, whatever your game is, to be able to play your game, regardless of how much stress and how much pressure you're feeling is such an incredible power. Um, all right, two weeks, U.S. Open. Can Novak win number 18, draw within one of Rafa Nadal and two of uh, Roger Federer? Um, the, the journey begins next week it'll be massive all right that's our trilogy if you haven't watched what we learned from Federer watch that if you haven't learned what recreational players can learn from Rafa Nadal take a look at that and uh, we will be turning the page on to the next topic rate, rate and review on iTunes we're on all of your favorite podcast networks leave the video a like on YouTube please subscribe as well leave a comment if you like and we will see you next time on the next episode of three